to Unpacking Injustice with the Montana Innocence Project. This podcast tells the real stories behind wrongful and unjust convictions and illuminates the complex issues responsible for making our criminal justice system unjust. Today, we are joined by MTIP's Executive Director, Amy Sings in the Timber, for a discussion about the intersection of Indigenous justice and innocence work. Let's begin unpacking. In the last three years, MTIP has carefully examined how wrongful and unjust convictions impact Indian country and how to best expand organizationally and programmatically to realize our mission in those communities that we know are most impacted by the injustices we work to remediate. In today's episode, Amy breaks down how innocence and unjust conviction work in Montana must be achieved through an Indigenous justice lens and the exciting ways in which MTIP's work is growing due to a recent Bureau of Justice Assistance Award. Take a listen. Can you introduce yourself and your role with MTIP? My name is Amy Sings in the Timber, and I'm the executive director of the Montana Innocence Project. Can you talk about how Indigenous justice intersects with innocence work, and what it looks like specifically for innocence work in Montana. Sure. So I think it's important uh, first to take a look at the historical issues leading to Indigenous injustice, um, namely centuries-long policies and practices by the colonizers and federal governments to prison and confine indigenous peoples, um, you know, that and in and of itself um, is perpetuated today in in many ways. Uh, you know, we know that communities of color in the U.S. are over-policed and in Montana uh, that predominantly looks like indigenous communities. Uh, There's also just a criminalization of indigenous peoples as a people. Um, Criminalization of indigenous culture has been a long part of federal Indian policy, Um, you know, really uh, dating back to a time when indigenous peoples were not allowed to practice their ceremonies, not allowed to speak their language uh, without fear of uh, violence and, uh, and imprisonment. And those kinds of things now lead to um, what we see showing up in different ways as um, uh, it, more modern issues. Uh, so, for example, specifically here in Montana, I can point to uh, the school to prison pipeline. Back in 2019, the ACLU issued a report uh, on uh, school to prison pipeline. Really, at the time, they were taking a look at data that they had gathered from the 2015-2016 school year. And that data demonstrated that Indigenous students lost six times the rate of 
instruction and were arrested as a result of school um, referrals at six times the rate of their white peers. If you, if you take a look just uh, at the urban areas in Montana, indigenous females were arrested at 12 times the rate of white females in the school system. And it, you know, if you're thinking about how that then plays into another very uh, prominent uh, pe- uh, um, endemic in the United States in general, but really uh, highlighted in the state of Montana, uh, missing and murdered indigenous women, um, missing and murdered indigenous peoples, uh, you can take a look and see the correlations pretty clearly. Uh, indigenous women, um, and I'm using women because this is a study of youth, of course, like ages, you know, um, taking a look at first grade through uh, 12th grade. Um, but indigenous females were 12% of the student population yet they made up 62% of school-related arrests. And if you take a look at the general population at that time, indigenous peoples were less than 7% of the population, yet made up 34% of the state prison population. I mean, there's a real direct correlation there. And if you take a look at the missing and murdered indigenous women, the statistics on that you know, play out very similarly uh, in the state of Montana. And there's problems, uh, you know, exa- like caused and continued, continuing um, related to jurisdictional issues. Um, who is responsible for investigating and, uh, and prosecuting and um, defending crimes that are committed on reservation, crimes that are committed against Indigenous people, crimes that are committed by Indigenous people. There's a real uh, confusion. There's a real lack of um, clarity in a lot of ways that leads to, in one side, you know, on one side of things, um, law enforcement not responding when uh, an indigenous person goes missing because of jurisdictional issues. And on the other side of things, an over-incarceration of indigenous peoples, particularly indigenous women, uh, who are sitting in prison for crimes of survival and oftentimes for crimes that were perpetuated uh, against them by their abusers. Uh, and oftentimes non-native abusers. So those are some of the um, those are some of the issues of indigenous justice that we're taking a look at, um, specifically the intersectionalities of innocence work. Um, you know, really taking a look, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, at those. Uh, crimes where somebody might be sitting in prison uh, for the crime of somebody else. Um, And all of the same drivers 
of wrongful conviction that pertain to um, natives and non-natives alike, um, we see disproportionately um, represented in the uh, in, in Montana prisons and indigenous populations in Montana prisons. Thank you. Um, can you now talk about in what ways MTIP's efforts to reform the criminal legal system impact indigenous communities now? Sure. So um, I'll give a specific example uh, of some of our most recent advocacy work uh, relating to eyewitness ID reform. Uh, MTIP spearheaded in the 2023 legislative session uh, eyewitness ID reform. So a little context previously in the state of Montana, um, there we, we know that there are core best practices uh, for law enforcement to be using in eyewitness ID lineups. We also know that eyewitness uh, misidentification is a significant driver of wrongful convictions. And um, prior to the 2023 session, law enforcement uh, agencies were basically required to, um, or, or were not required rather, um, could voluntarily comply with these best practices. And, you know, according to the reporting, we know that as much as 80% of the agencies were in, or at least were reporting to be in voluntary compliance with the best practices for eyewitness ID lineups. However, if you think about 80% um, in a state like Montana, it's kind of important to take a look at where those agencies are in the 20% that are not in uh, voluntary compliance. And if you take a look at where those um, agencies were located, you'd find that they were located very near to reservation and um, urban Indian communities uh, throughout the state. And so there's a significant impact there. Um, now, uh, post the 2023 session, those best practices are codified and law enforcement agencies are required to uh, utilize those poor best practices in creating uh, um, eyewitness ID lineups and if they don't, then they need to, um, then th that needs to be reported in the jury instruction. Um, and so that's, you know, that's one uh, critical way that we are uh, working to make some changes um, in the intersectionality between indigenous justice and, um, and criminal legal reforms in general. So MTIP is growing in many ways, including organizationally and programmatically. Can you describe how this growth will impact Indigenous peoples who are impacted by wrongful and unjust convictions? Certainly. So back in 2020, the Montana Innocence Project was already asking some pretty uh, critical questions regarding 
uh, indigenous justice issues and the work that the organization was doing at the time. Uh, namely, really observing that we had this disproportionate number of indigenous applicants compared to the population, although the number of applicants to our project pretty closely mirrored the disproportionate representation in the Montana state prison so system. So that, that you know, seems to, to kind of be on the nose a little bit. But what we really were struggling with, what the organization was struggling with at the time was why then had we never um, been successful in exonerating an indigenous person? It wasn't that we um, believed in any way that the indigenous applicants that were coming to us had any less valid cases than anybody else who was applying for our services. But we were getting stuck in the investigative phase. And so, you know, kind of t taking a look at that and, and peeling back um, the layers of uh, our intake processes and our investigative practices and what that all entailed, we underwent um, this process, a strategic planning process to take a look at um, what our priorities were going to be around these important questions. And what we came to is that um, we absolutely needed to prioritize um, providing equity and access to our services for um, both indigenous populations and also uh, deeply rural communities in Montana. And equity in outcomes um, in, in the impact uh, to these particular uh, communities and, um, and fairly isolated populations. Uh, but we, uh, we, you know, really set out to um, learn from and hear from those impacted. Um, and of course, that's the best practice to go about providing services to any population or community is to go to the uh, communities themselves and listen and learn. And so we started um, forming uh, relationships and deepening relationships in indigenous communities, both on reservation and off, and uh, and spending some time uh, taking a look at other uh, investigative models in uh, different parts of the country that were addressing some of these issues. And what's resulted is... Um, the development of a trauma-informed and culturally aware model of investigation that we began piloting in um, the start of 2023, uh, thanks to some pilot funding um, that we received from the Steel Reese Foundation and have fully committed to maintaining this model for another um, two years beyond the pilot phase. And the reason that that's so critical is because what we know is um, in order to uh, uncover really sensitive relational information, it's all about building trust and showing up every day um, and 
and making certain that one, we have enough of a runway to really uh, let the data bear out to what we're what we're hopeful of, and two, to demonstrate that level of commitment and that this is not um, a passing fancy. This is not something that is uh, just, you know, of the moment idea. We're organizationally committing to um, providing this equity and access and impact for the long run. Um, I'm happy to say that we uh, have been successful in securing funding for an additional uh, minimum of two years of this particular model. We have projected that we would see over a three-year period a 30% increase in uh, applications being in applicants um, being moved from intake into active litigation. Uh, and I'm excited to to report that. In the first pilot year, we've already seen a 14% increase. And so that in and of itself um, is really positive in, uh, you know, we're, de we're definitely on track for our prediction. And why is it important to have culturally appropriate approaches to innocence and unjust conviction work in Indian country? Well, um, there was this saying, uh, you know, I, can't, I feel like it, it, it's probably a decade or more old now um, that you would hear in uh, activist um, communities, uh, nothing about us without us. And that really kind of gets to the heart of it. You can't just parachute into a community and purport to solve all of the the world's problems um, without the engagement, involvement, leadership of the very peoples who are most impacted. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's, it, it starts without a in this particular instance, without an indigenous-led organization, um, Montana Innocence Project is not was not founded um, by indigenous communities. It did not get off the ground in that context. However, um, what I can say is that you know the the disproportionate number of applicants coming in to the project has really um, demonstrated that there is not another avenue uh, for, for relief. There is not um, outside of the project right now. I mean, and we know that this is true of this work in general in the state of Montana, that post-conviction relief. Th there aren't any other organizations uh, who are pursuing this. And so um, it is incumbent on the Montana Innocence Project to come to indigenous communities and and ask to 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 listen and learn from the very people who are most impacted and um, and tribal governments and you know other um, native 
led agencies who have a vested interest, obviously, in uh, tribal members and tribal communities um, to be able to work side by side in in this um, particular endeavor in this cause. What are your hopes for MTIP to achieve in the next five years as it relates to furthering Indigenous justice through innocence and unjust conviction work? Yeah, well, so I just mentioned sort of the statistical goals of our um, particular investigative model and all of that sounds very wonky and um, and it you know, it's the kind of thing that um, that gets grants. Um, and uh, and as a matter of fact, it uh, was the very um, work that needed to be done in order for the Montana Innocence Project to secure a um, Department of Justice, Bureau of Justice Administration grant specifically to do this work. Uh, and I'm excited to say that we've now uh, secured federal funding for this work, and that is going to allow the organization to um, hire some additional positions uh, specifically focused in uh, in the uh, area that in Indigenous justice and um, wrongful convictions and upholding the rule of law and that allows us an opportunity to uh, bring on up to seven place-based community investigators. And that also, that that terminology is a little wonky in and of itself. But what it really means is um, contracting with investigators in tribal communities, individuals who are of those communities, maybe born and raised there, certainly have deep relationships there. And, um, and have that real vested interest in seeing this work done and done well. Um, I can't stress enough um, how exciting that is. It's that that particular uh, model is not being done in very many places in this country. And so, um, you know, it's, it's exciting for Montana to be leading the way in, in that space. And um, it also will allow us to bring on some much needed uh, additional supports for both our legal program and for post-release supports for clients, um, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous folks. Um, you know, really what I'm talking about is uh, social services advocates. And um, and all of that means that not only will we be able to continue uh, improving the quality of the work that we're able, you know, of the services we're able to deliver, but also that we're really taking uh, a look at a continuum of care um, that has not been addressed previously. Is there anything else you want to add? Yes, I, I, I just, I guess, you know, the last thing I want to stress is that we have not been able to do this alone. I mean, that's exactly the point of, um, uh, of you know, our goals here, our strategic goals and this work is that we have had uh, a tremendous 
amount of support from a number of different uh, agencies, organizations, and individuals. And I just, you know, I, I want to um, give uh, thanks to, uh, you know, the Tribal Defenders Office at the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes. I want to make certain that I'm giving some much deserved recognition to the Sovereign Bodies Institute. And, um, and you know, I, I, I would love to raise up each and every person individually, but I think it's just incredibly important to say that um, we have not gotten to this point on our own and we will not accomplish anything um, worth, uh, worth maintaining without... Uh, you know, real close uh, relationships, collaborators, and allyships uh, going forward. And so, um, yeah, just megwitch. Justice is a Montana Innocence Project podcast. The artwork was created by Rob Truax, and the music was composed by Corey Fay. To learn more about the Montana Innocence Project, visit our website, mtinnocenceproject.org, or follow us on social media at Big Sky Innocence. To submit a case, visit our website and click on the Request Legal Assistance tab. Thank you for unpacking injustice with the Montana Innocence Project. Thank you.